0: This is the Oanda Podcast.
1: This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world, and today it is Jeff Halley in Singapore. Good morning from London.
0: And good afternoon from Singapore.
1: Now I think it's going to be a short working week for you, Jeff, and for most of Asia with the lunar year holiday coming up. Does trading tend to be quiet all week?
0: Well, not really a week. And I think the markets themselves are quite busy at the moment. We can see some of the equity market moves in Asia today. China and Japan both uh, having uh, banner days today. I think it'll be really dictated to by the holiday schedules. Taiwan is the first to head off on Wednesday. China is out for a week from Thursday. Japan's off then. And then basically everyone in Asia, including even India, is off for Lunar New Year or some derivative of it on Friday. And then we have President's Day uh, next Monday in the United States as well. So a lot of holidays coming up. So I would expect sometime from uh Wednesday trading will slow down a lot in Asia.
1: Could do with a bit of a holiday on this side of the Atlantic, I have to tell you, or this side <laughs> of the world. And markets thus far, um, how do they close today?
0: Yeah, they've had a great day. Uh the Biden stimulus tailwind seems to be the one ring that rules them all at the moment. Uh in the absence of any other news there wasn't anything majorly market moving that came out over the weekend uh, uh, treasury secretary janet yellen said that the us would achieve full employment next year if the 1.9 stimulus went through and uh christine lagarde uh so cautioned against withdrawing stimulus too soon in the european union uh, but otherwise uh, it, it's sort of back to the default position which is Uh, $1.9 trillion of stimulus, which looks like it's going to move through the Senate quite quickly, Uh, and the economic boost to the United States from that uh, flowing through to uh, positive equity markets across the region.
1: Now, the newspapers over the weekend in this country, Jeff, were full of stories about the so-called Amazon tax and the fact that the UK government is considering uh, planning for one, maybe not necessarily in this March's budget. This will be a tax, of course, on online sales. And as well as plugging a big hole in Britain's finances, it'll protect bricks and mortar retail from destruction. Will this concern Amazon and the other giants?
0: I think Amazon and the other tech giants are well-versed at fighting rearguard actions on this. I don't think it's in singularity going to uh, plug the hole in Britain's finances, which are as deep as the uh, mid-Atlantic trench now. Uh, look their sales have risen to 19.5 billion but you need to concentrate on the fact that that's sales that's not profit and Amazon's business model is to stack them high and sell them cheap and make a little bit on the way uh, however there are these ongoing issues with these giant international tech companies uh, doing transfer pricing and basically putting all the costs on the local uh, countries uh, whilst booking all the revenues through places such as Amsterdam and 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 through Ireland, which are low-tax regimes, uh, and thus not paying what people believe is the fair proportion of tax. There is precedent here. Indonesia, uh, Google and Facebook pay taxes here, and they have a giant e-com. I mean, Indonesia is a giant e-com universe. Australia and New Zealand, other countries around the world. France has been trying to do it. A a lot of this will depend on the... um, on how the Biden administration feels about it, because under the Trump regime, this whole idea of digital taxes was going nowhere. Uh, But under the Biden, under the Democrats, it could be a much more sympathetic, uh, a, a much more sympathetic environment. The OECD has been working on a international digital company tax proposal for quite a while now. It's been held up by the US, unsurprisingly. So I think this is something that is, we're going to see more and more of uh, as, as as time goes on, not just in the UK and other places, that they will want to see these international technology companies paying what they perceive to be their fair share of tax in those countries based on the amount of business that they're doing there.
1: And as I said, it's unlikely that the Chancellor will introduce this in his budget. But as you intimate, it is a bit of a dog whistle tax, isn't it? Because you mentioned those sales, uh, 19.5 billion for Amazon. They pay just 14.5 million in corporation tax. So for the ordinary guy on the street, as you say, they should pay their fair share. That's the general argument. And if it also plugs, yes, a small a small hole in Britain's uh, finances, then that's something at least... Uh, in this, in the short to medium term,
0: yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that the world is moving towards this sort of ecosystem now, instead of this sort of unfettered capitalism, tax minimal minimalization, I think uh, companies are going to have to accept that they're working within a within a within a uh, an environment where they need to take into account social, governmental, regulatory, and shareholders, and operationally as well. But there's a lot more stakeholders. Are going to be involved uh, in this process look amazon is being used as an example but apple's been doing it for years and they've been having conflicts with the eu over it facebook uh when you for example i think if you if you watch something like netflix you'll see at the bottom in the fine print you're, you're paying your money to netflix NV in amsterdam or somewhere in the netherlands it's not to some netflix uk yeah so all the revenue gets booked via low tax uh shells in uh, friendly countries and all the costs get loaded into the actual countries they do business in to minimise that tax that's due and I I think there needs to be something here that has to change but it's going to take an international effort and a set of rules brought in under sort of like these OECD uh, international accounting standards in order for it to, to see it happening across the world but you'll have no argument from me over it.
1: Quick word about oil, Jeff. Brent crude very, very near to touching that magical figure of $60 a barrel. WTI a bit further behind. When you look at the price of oil before the pandemic began, when we were using a lot more of it than we are now, it's a higher price. Why?
0: Well, quite simply, it's the sheer scale of the OPEC cuts. So we've seen OPEC take about $10 million, 10 million, 10 million barrels a day of production off the market, over the past year, Saudi Arabia unilaterally topped that up by putting another million off the market uh, late last year. So there's uh, millions of barrels of oil have been taken off the market. We have to also note that there's been very cold weather in North America and also across Northern Asia, China, Japan, uh, South Korea. Uh, That has also pushed up oil prices because as gas prices or energy prices move up, by default uh, oil gets a tailwind as well. And a lot of these gas uh, contracts are actually priced off an oil benchmark. So as energy prices rise, naturally uh, uh, prices will rise in oil. But you also need to notice that um, China over the last uh, nine months has had this incredible economic performance, this recovery, their consumption is rising very quickly back to what it was. So it's a combination of, uh, supply being cut and demand rising, and here we are at nearly $60 a barrel.
1: At what point are they going to start turning the taps on again?
0: I think the discipline amongst OPEC Plus has been pretty good, and I think Saudi Arabia is running a, a pretty tight ship. They, they've actually said there'll be no changes uh, no changes until March, and, and and after that it's going to be on a monthly reassessment. But I don't see a situation where they're going to be adding uh, multiples of millions of barrels back into the market. What we will need to see is the uh, the world economic recovery post-COVID-19 reach escape velocity, and then they'll feed that in. I think 60 to 65 is OPEC's sweet spot at the moment because above 65, that's probably going to encourage the shale drillers in the US to start drilling and producing on mass again. With the oil around 60 65, it's just not enough for them to come back in volume, but enough to keep uh, the books balanced or looking less read amongst the OPEC countries.
1: We mentioned the lunar holiday towards the end of the week, Jeff, and I'm sure you're looking forward to that. What should we look out for the rest of the week for the other parts of the world? Is there anything that stands out for you?
0: Well, unsurprisingly, uh, the data calendar is pretty quiet this week. So there's two major events and they're both on Wednesday, which is very convenient. Uh, The first is in China, and they'll have their inflation numbers and uh, their trade numbers. Uh, The market will be looking for um, a higher print from China. But I think there's some worry there that this persistent domestic deflation, this weakness in domestic consumption may feed through to that. Uh, The United States also on Wednesday evening, my time, releases its inflation numbers, and there it's quite opposite. Uh, The nerves are that... uh, Inflation will uh, print year on year at above 1.6%, which may cause uh, US bond yields to move higher again. Uh, That could take the heat out of uh, equity markets uh, and also increase the strength of the dollar.
1: Okay, Jeff, absolute pleasure speaking to you this morning and we'll talk to you again same time next week.
0: Have a wonderful week. Thanks for having me.